Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AI Innovators Podcast. I'm Rob May. I'm the CEO at Nova. We make BrandGuard, which is an AI product that makes sure that your brand is consistent across many, many platforms. I also run the AI Innovators community, which is sort of the basis for this podcast, where we're constantly trying to talk to people that are doing different types of innovation in the AI space, whether they're corporate executives, whether they're technical people, academics, or startups. So I'm very excited to have one of those entrepreneurs here today, Neil Sarah. Brani from Calypso AI is going to be talking to us. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Rob, thanks for having me. Look forward to an interesting conversation. Yeah, so I want to jump in and talk about your original business idea because you guys focus on security and things like that around LLMs, but you started Calypso before the LLM age. So, so tell me a little bit about the original idea. Did you see this coming? Were you doing something else and you pivoted into the LLM opportunity or just give us the background. Yeah. So we're going to be celebrating our fifth anniversary this year, which in startup years just feels utterly insane. And five years ago, the idea of starting a company focused on security of AI was by no means as obvious as it was today. The reason why we started the company was a couple of fold. One, it seemed really, really obvious that as AI started to actually get productionized and go from R&D into actual applications, there would be an increasing number of security threats. Two, I was really interested in a lot of the communities kind of around existential AI, but a lot of what they were talking about, especially five years ago, seemed really, really kind of out there. And much of it was just based on this idea that we're going to spend years and years and years and decades doing research. And we hope that our research is going in the right direction. And eventually, we'll find our way to actually, you know, being able to create AGI and AGI safety. And then lastly, I had the opportunity to spend some time in the US government. And you end up gaining this really interesting perspective on what threats could look like and sort of the future of both applications and threats, particularly in machine learning. How did that lead to the focus on LLMs? Was this just sort of where the market took you as LLMs came about or was it something else? You know, LLMs are just one part of this larger category that is called by different people base models or foundation models. You know, the underlying architecture for LLMs transformers have been around for five years. So it's not necessarily something new. I think that, you know, you've had three things happen that have massively increased the hype. One, I think ChatGPT was sort of the initial killer application. Two, the models have just gotten better and better and better. Like if you play with GPT-3 or GPT-2, you're not going to get that same crazy experience that you get with 3.5 or 4. And then three, the HRLS, so the human reinforcement learning with feedback as a way of basically being able to debug these models has just been really, really effective in terms of giving back responses. So we've been focused on computer vision. We've been focused on kind of applications of neural networks ever since we started the company. But we certainly, you know, with the advent of ChatGPT, we're able to take some of our existing technology, redefine it, and apply it to large language models and some of the public models that were out there. 
just based on all of the, both the kind of need for security for these models, but also a lot of the kind of fear and desire to be able to deploy these models safely. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the security implications here, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners who aren't deeply technical probably don't know, like, what can go wrong when I'm using an LLM? And what should I be thinking about from a security perspective as I deploy one? Okay, this is an exciting one. So let's go from simple to complex in terms of, you know, what could potentially happen to you. So on the simple side of the house, and we've seen a large number of examples of this. I should tell you one in a second. As you're inputting sensitive data into ChatGPT, you are potentially giving the model data that it's going to use to retrain and is going to create associations within the model. One kind of really simple example that we saw was HR manager who is using ChatGPT to help write performance reports for employees. And the performance reports, you know, went along the lines of Bob is good at teamwork. Bob is not so good at being able to independently think for themselves. And when Bob looked himself up after a retraining cycle for ChatGPT, you can probably guess where this is going. But he found out that he was not particularly good at thinking for himself. And was obviously a little bit pissed there. Wow. So that's kind of like base risk number one. Now, when you're getting more complex, you have a couple of different categories of risks. So you have hallucinations or where the model is producing false or fake information. Two, these LLMs are gathering such a large percentage of the public internet that you have your traditional cyber threats mixed in there, as well as MLs specific threats. And we can later kind of go through the history of, you know, when ML hacking became a thing. I would argue that like 2016 was really the day that it became a thing. And then three, you also have an increasing number of attacks on on the model itself, or where you're able to essentially a evade the controls or jailbreak the model on the kind of input side of the house or on the prompt side of the house. And then B, where you're potentially able to make sure that some data was put into the training data set for the model. Yeah, I think I know some of the stuff that you're talking about when you think about the early challenges. I I remember seeing that, who are the guys that figured out like you could you know, you, you could put like a, a black X on a stop sign and yep. something make an autonomous car go wherever you wanted it to go or something crazy like that. Yeah, 100%. And those threats have been there for a while now. You know, one kind of cool pop culture example of that was in Hong Kong, a lot of the demonstrators in 2020 and 2021 wore t-shirts that had adversarial patches on them as a way to be able to deal with increasing kind of network of facial recognition cameras that China has running. Yeah, that's crazy. So I want to shift a little bit and talk about your product roadmap and how you manage a company that's in a space where things are changing really rapidly, right? So like, I mean, you point out like GPT-3 came out in like March of 2020. It's actually been out for a while, but you have all these different models coming out, lots of different people. You've had these these jumps in like everything with CNNs and then we were infatuated with GANs and then 
We've been a little bit stable for a while with transformer architectures, but maybe something new is coming around the corner. We'll see. And so you have this space that I would argue is changing faster than technology spaces normally change. And so what kind of challenges does that create for a company like yours? And like, how do you manage that in your product roadmap? Do you have to collaborate more deeply with these companies or because you're in the space that you're in the security side, you don't want to collaborate them and you and you just, you know, you you, you get your data on where the market's going from somewhere else. So like, how do you think through all this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And you might kind of experience this yourself as you're thinking through your product roadmap. I always like to joke with our team that it's really easy to do five-year predictions and it's fairly intuitive to do three to six-month prediction. It's really, really hard to do like one to two year direction Absolutely. or multiple quarter multiple quarter projects. So just to just to answer that for us, it really starts with kind of two exercises. Exercise number one is from a first principles perspective. Where do we think that the like ML space is moving towards? Why do we think it's moving towards there? What do we have to back that up? And what are the threats that we think are gonna come as a part of that development? And then we'll often prototype or try to better understand what like, what the significance of that threat is. Do we think it's significant? Do we not think it's significant? And then way number two that we go about it is really just deeply listening to our customers and as much as possible trying to understand what are the applications that they think that they're going to deploy models in? What are the threats they're worried about? What are the features or capabilities that they want to have? And then kind of going through this almost unnatural process of marrying the two and trying to figure out, you know, what makes sense for us on the basis of, you know, both the kind of first principles thinking, but also the really, really kind of customer specific learnings and insights. So let's dig into that a little bit about, you know, talking to customers, figuring out where your roadmap's going to go. You're really uniquely positioned to understand where people are, where enterprises are in their life cycle with respect to like LLM adoption. And so I'm curious what you see. Are you, are you seeing lots of experimentation? Are you seeing people still ignoring it? Are, you, or, are they just jumping in head first? What's, what's going on in the market? It's a really good question. I'm not sure I, I would describe it as one market. I would rather describe it as many different markets with different needs and desires kind of across the board. But to answer that question specifically, we're seeing a couple of things. One, probably four to six months ago, there was this enormous amount of excitement. And you know, this excitement was also coupled with an enormous amount of fear. Fear both from a you know job and kind of workplace perspective, and then fear also coming from a security perspective. In the last you know 90 days or so, We've seen enterprises really go from, okay, this is awesome. It's also really scary to trying to figure out, you know, what is our roadmap going to be? How are we going to productionize these technologies? What are the use cases or applications that we really believe in? And then developing roadmaps and also figuring out the security steps that they have to take into account there. Rob, what are you seeing on your end? Yeah, I you know the the biggest thing I see in the companies I'm invested in and and the work we're doing even at Brandguard is like is a lot of confusion over the best way to achieve these means. So like I spend a lot of time talking to people about things like um or I get a lot of questions about well GPT 3.5 is cheaper and much more robust than GPT 4. Can we get away with that? But GPT 4 is so much better and or 
you know, there's more and more of these pieces of infrastructure that allow you to easily roll your own or fine tune your own LLMs or like use something open source and, you know, deploy it and have more control. Like, should we do that? And, and a lot of people are trying to make projections about what the cost structure, you know, you can make projections about what OpenAI is going to do. You can make projections about the competitive dynamics are going to drive down the price. You can make projections about what it's going to cost to roll your own. They're just projections and they're, you know, it's hard to know, but people cut companies when you're building at this phase, sometimes you have to make a bet on one of those things. The more right you are, then, you know, the happier you'll be with your bet. But some, some people are going to have to shift quite a bit, I think, if they're because I, I, you know, I'm hearing companies all over the map and where they think this stuff's going to go. So it's, it's really interesting. A hundred percent. And probably the only like, you know, universal axiom of startups is velocity beats all. Yeah. And I think it's why I, I really like, like when I put on my investor hat and I think a lot about, you know, my angel investing, I really like enterprise AI companies because I know a lot of people want to invest at the infrastructure layer, but when you're a piece of just pure infrastructure, like if you're building a foundation model and the world moves against you, right? Something comes out tomorrow, there's a paper, transformers are no longer the thing. Here's the thing. All your expertise is in transformers. You have to scramble to figure out the new thing. But you know, when you enterprise companies build a whole bunch of stuff on top of the technology, right? So you're typically providing, you know, security and compliance and really granular administration and user functionality and handholding to the extent that they need it. And so I think enterprise companies are great for AI because if the tech does move really rapidly underneath you, you have time and you have the trust of the customer behind you to sort of, you know, make the, make the technology change. And you, you, you don't have to spin around immediately and be like, oh, we have one of those APIs too. Like, if it takes you a couple months or, or sometimes even a year, like you'll be okay, right? I mean, you're, that that's, might be as fast as your customer could move anyway. A hundred percent. You know, the question that does come up though is obviously what is your technical moat? It kind of reminds me of early days with the Apple App Store distribution, you know, as a problem became solved for a lot of those early kind of app developers. Obviously, they were in someone else's walled garden. But it became really, really hard for them to build a durable moat. And I think you're seeing to some degree the same thing in the LLM space with companies that have really, really thin wrappers on top of the foundation models. And so it's this really interesting question from just a durability perspective. You know, if you don't want to be at the foundation model layer and you don't necessarily want to be at just the thin overlay, how do you sit deep enough from a technical perspective that you have that moat? But you also are kind of taking advantage and have the ability to pivot around. Yes. And I, I think, as you mentioned earlier about velocity, it's, it's this, the thinking velocity around this is part of what makes all this so much fun. So tell me a little bit about your roadmap in the near term and some of the things that Calypso is working on that you're allowed to talk about that, you know, that might be coming out soon. Like, are you guys supporting more types of platforms, more use cases, or is it more about new specific enterprise features that people need? Like, wh- where's the where's the sort of six-month roadmap going? Yeah, so really, it's a combination of two things. And we always have to balance these two things. So bucket number one are all of those enterprise features that you just need to support. So even simple things like, you know, we'll have SOC 2 accreditation later this year. We're in process and a whole bunch of just enterprise features. And then bucket number two are the really cool things that kind of push us ahead. We actually have an announcement that should be coming out three to four weeks from now around our kind of next generation version of the product. 
And there are kind of three things in it that are going to be really, really cool. One of those three things we've been kind of in R&D on for many quarters now. And the other two are also just this really, really great example of us being able to kind of combine a lot of the data science research we've been doing for a while and finally start to see the underlying kind of cost per API call for models finally get to a place where we can roll them out. That sounds awesome. So when we're talking about the future of AI, I'm curious what you think. You spent a little bit of time in venture capital before Calypso. And so I'm curious, what do you think the venture community is most getting wrong about the way they're approaching the AI wave today? Yeah, it's a really good question. Ultimately, I I think there are a couple of things. So one, there isn't as much kind of prediction around the future and what are the kind of future problems that are going to kind of be instantiated happening as you would expect. Like it's pretty simple to even predict, you know, one standard deviation away from where we are now. Models are going to be multimodal, meaning they're going to be able to support multiple types of data. And we're going to see as you have your diffusion models join in with your generative LLMs. And then you're also going to see the instantiation of other types of data as well. It's pretty easy to, you know, to be able to predict that you're going to see an increasing number of organizations that are, you know, wanting to somehow sell their insights generated by LLMs and kind of going a little bit further out. I think that kind of that prediction ability or that desire to predict what's happening next is something that, you know, to some degree is a is a gap. Two, it seems like there is a lot of investment going to the foundation model marketplace, which is really just another way of saying uh, everyone is going to continue to support NVIDIA's bottom line and their very nice share price. So perhaps there's a question around, you know, does that do those investments actually make sense? How about you, Rob? I know you wrote a LinkedIn post about this. Yeah, I, de- I definitely sort of agree with you on the on the foundation model piece. I think what I'd be worried about there is this idea that the technology underlying it could change really rapidly to make those business models less you know, less less predictable, less valuable. I have said for a long time, I, I think Microsoft is the ultimate buyer for OpenAI. They own roughly half the company. They could pay a lot for it and get a lot of usage. And I, I'm not... I don't think of, they'll buy OpenAI though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because I still think OpenAI is going to develop a standalone business model to, to maintain. If if the numbers you read about ChatGPT are true, it's, it's going to be hard for them to build a business around that that's economically sustainable particularly with all the competitive pressure in that space, right? From really big, well-capitalized players. Also, the antitrust issues Microsoft will likely bump into if they try to buy OpenAI. Microsoft's done an incredible job in the last, you know, 20 years or so of not being on the radars of antitrust officials in the same way they were in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. So, One of the groups of people that listens to this podcast a lot is a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that would like to be entrepreneurs, always trying to figure out how to tweak what they're working on or what they should be working on. And so I'm curious if you have any ideas there. What's one technical problem maybe that you aren't working on at Calypso, but you wish somebody else would solve to make your work better or easier? Yeah, one issue that I think about a lot, and it's actually a really, really, really tough problem is permissioning for LLMs. So you take a model, you fine tune it with your organization's data, and you expose it to your workforce. 
you've basically made everyone's data available to each other. And there is no really good permissioning model right now that exists for LLMs. It's a really tough problem because if you get it wrong or you know you have a 1% kind of improper view rate, the product is as good as worthless. But it's a really big problem because right now what we're hearing from enterprises is, you know, they are developing multiple models and, you know, having their exact model and then having their, you know, like division by division model. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense and definitely sounds like something that would be pretty challenging to to figure out how to build. So the one question that I always like to ask at the end of the podcast is, you know, obviously you're somebody that's had some success in life. You get to work on interesting stuff, be pretty forward thinking. So I'm always curious, what's one piece of life advice that you've learned along the way that you read, that you were taught by a mentor or something that you'd like to pass along to our audience? Unfortunately for our listeners, we had a technical glitch that cut off Neil's last question. And as a result, we don't get to end on the question that we normally end on for part of this podcast. So just wanted to explain why that happened. Thank you guys for listening. If you have questions that you'd like us to ask future guests or people that should be guests on the show, please email those to us. You can email me, rob at brandguard.ai. And we hope you listen to the rest of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you.